Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Okay, so next on the list of our eight archetypes, number two is the Herald, not of Kumar. I have a little quote, which I thought was kind of fun. Please pay attention as this message is classified. It will not be repeated. I represent a top secret division of the government, designing and testing equipment experimental technology and we are in need of your unique abilities so this is the herald the herald is basically the character usually who announces what's coming and sort of like elicits the call to action um, so that quote was from mirage from the incredibles oh and it's the message that he gets that mr incredible gets on his tablet and it basically is the thing that tells him his world is about to change if he wants it to. Absolutely. Call yeah. to action. Call to action. Psychologically, it's very similar. It's still like an announcing of needing change. But it can be an inner voice. It can be a real person. It's anything really that's brought us like a new idea into our lives or our, our brains that creates like a ripple effect and sets things off into motion even if it's not quite action-based yet at least thought-wise. I mean I guess the Herald can be called a lot of different things. They call it sometimes the force of change uh, meaning that it doesn't always have to be a character although I'm pretty sure it usually is even if it's just in passing. Or sometimes another character plays the Herald temporarily like the mentor for example tends to be the herald as well they instigate the change right they say, you're needed come with me in which case they're both herald and mentor wearing the the mentor wearing the mask of herald yes so i i found three functions for the herald uh they promise the audience that something will happen they basically are promising that the story is like working towards something we're not just going to sit around like we were just talking about like the hero has a problem and there's an issue and we're gonna like go towards something Two, they often act as a call to action, and it's usually big enough to indicate the stakes and, like, the actual motivation toward the, the hero and what they're about to do. And the third is they give the, both the audience and the protagonist a glimpse into the unknown world that they're going to enter. And sometimes it's not, you don't actually, I mean, you do, but you don't. Like, I, we just watched a movie called Purgatory, which was really fun in a Western, and you know, we, we see these characters, this character that kind of shows them a magical place, uh -huh. right? And that it's sort of, I don't know, maybe that doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're forced into the extraordinary world. No, that's true. But the Herald comes as a weather impediment. They get stuck in a dust storm. Right. And that 
that literally changes their direction. That's the herald into the new world. So nature's deciding that this group must be here in the extraordinary world at this time. So the one example I thought of was the non-person one. So it's perfect. Oh, no. Well, I mean, oh, it could, and it could be multiple things. Like when, oh, totally. once in the extraordinary world, there may be a herald into the next step of the journey. Totally. They could just keep coming, reappearing wherever they're needed. Yeah. In symbolism, in people, in in a thought and like even the hero can have an internal thought that we see as an audience that be- becomes the herald totally you know yeah is that what you were gonna say about them about purgatory yeah that sounds right let's go with that <laughs> um, what did you think because i could be wrong what no did you i think, think i just talked myself into a wall oh. um and i i i like that the herald can also be like for I mean, it's for the hero, but it's also for the audience. They're not quite the same as a chorus, which we talked about in Aristotle, but they do have a lot of like similar functions because the herald can reappear or be worn as a mask throughout. So we do get opportunities to see uh, glimpses of what's coming next. Absolutely. As well. And also for, for some reason... Harold and like you kind of already touched on this, but Harold and mentor tend to go together. So Gandalf is one that I wrote down. Glinda, they they for some reason they just tend to go together because of the situation. I think, and it's much harder to show, especially like in a film, a hero discovering a herald or wearing the mask of a herald for themselves, which I think is probably more accurate in a lot of ways, because. That's how thinking works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also wrote down like the announce. Okay, so the announcement in Willy Wonka is one, right? We find out Charlie's life could be different. Absolutely. It changes the status quo right away. Right. Effie Trinket and Hunger Games, same thing. Like she's a vessel for announcing the next Hunger Games, which is going to change people's lives not just the main character but everyone she literally picks the names from a jar yeah like that's the the best picture of a herald is like even though i'm acting for an outside force she has no influence over what's happening but she's the one that picks the name of the heroes who will continue the journey totally that's like the that's a scary type of herald right (laughs) they have no control over it but they're the symbols of it right representation of the shadow right hagrid of course in harry potter as well as the letters in harry potter they both kind of announce a change that's come or is coming to the main character as well as to the main character's community something interesting about the herald is that they can also be a motivator they're not necessarily just what we talked about with effie in hunger games they can also like sort of lend themselves to inspiring the hero to consider change because again they're not really like they're the catalyst but not really i mean you know what i mean yeah or they become allies along the way if they stay in the story yeah i had a really hard time like understanding the herald only because it's sort of a vague concept i guess i mean maybe it's not and it just is for me i tend to falter and not be able to like identify exactly what or who or when the herald arrives uh, I think it w- it was a lot easier in something classical because it's more literal, uh-huh. which is handy. Speaking of which, we can talk about um, Wonder Woman first. So I had some trouble with the Herald, obviously. 
And I had a couple different things that I thought could be the Herald. But do you want to tell us what you think? I think because the basic function of the Herald is to initiate the journey somehow, meaning put the character, the hero, into action. Whatever breaks their ordinary world is going to be the Herald. And in Wonder Woman, she would have stayed on the island training to be a warrior, Mm -hmm. knowing the knowledge that she's supposed to kill Ares at some point. That could all still remain in her, but the problem is still she's on the island. Right. And there's nothing to call her out of it. Right. So then the call to action is in the form of a plane breaking the barrier of the island Mm -hmm. and becoming a problem. Right. That's the new. That's the instigator. Now she's called to do something else other than train on the island. Right. So I I think – in a lot of ways, it's the plane crash. Even though Steve is the one operating the plane and he, he's the one that like is dragged out of the plane that mm-hmm. she meets first. That's the first character in, of the extraordinary world. Right. I would still say that the image of that plane breaking through mm-hmm. is very much the herald. Kind of like the, the letters in Harry Potter that right. come through the mail. They act as the herald. Cool. That's, that's what my opinion would be. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Cool. Um, And then in Field of Dreams. The herald that I had for that was the voice. It's almost like right away, right? It's pretty like instantaneous, which is not usually what they do in film. The narration comes through. It announces if you build it, he will come. And I think like one of his first lines is like, who? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kinsella is like in his field and he's like, what? The movie starts off with the background. He- he's narrating his own childhood. Right. And the audience gets a sense that there's some problematic tension there in his childhood with his father. But that's all we get. And then we're grounded right with Kinsella at the beginning where he's in his field. That's the normal. It's literally three seconds of normality. Right. Before the voice says, if you build it, he will come. Totally. It's a quick herald. Yeah. And one that repeats to some degree. Absolutely. So our third archetype, the mentor. Mentor is the name of a character in the Odyssey. And that's the first appearance of that term. Is it a dude? It is a dude at first. He guides the main heroes in their treacherous adventures. Mm -hmm. But actually in the story, he's in disguise. He's actually the goddess Athena. Mm. In a lot of ways, the name is interpreted as the one who is enthused, Mm. which in Greek means God endowed or God within you or God Mm. among you. Which is appropriate because if Mentor in the Odyssey was originally the goddess Athena, Mm -hmm. it meant he was already on the divine realm. Vogler starts off with a more basic definition. So Vogler says that the dramatic function then of the mentor is to teach or to train the hero. Mm. Having already higher knowledge and having gone through the hero's journey themselves, they now have a lot to share. Right. And they're usually, like I said, because they're God-endowed or speak with the voice of God, Mm -hmm. that they can also be the instigators of the hero's journey. They're the ones that see the imbalance and call to someone to change it because they're already living in that higher stage. Mm. Again, that's a very classic way of showing it because mentors in stories now can be pretty broken, but still be guides, parents, coaches. It's way more compelling. Yeah, they're imperfect still. And still have places to go. Yeah, who wants... Yeah. Right. I don't understand who would want, like, a mentor that's perfect. 
and doesn't have anywhere to grow. Right. And well, Vogler argues that even the classical mentor who seems too perfect still needs to be taught by the hero. They have more to learn by teaching, right? What, yeah. What is the motto? Um, I was like, if you can't do, teach. But that's not the right thing. There's, there's some sort of, false, yeah. <laughs> there's some sort of motto that you learn the most when you teach, mm. right? That's hopefully the idea behind the mentor is that they continue to learn by teaching. Right. So let's, let's talk about it in those terms. Okay. So then the dramatic function, like I said, is to teach or train. They mm -hmm. can be a coach. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times they can be parental figures. And in some movies, like I don't know if you remember Jumper, the movie Jumper. Oh, yeah. That really shitty movie that I enjoyed <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it was not the greatest movie. But in that concept, he adapted the abilities of his mother. His mother was a time jumper or con um, what do you call it? Dimension jumper. And he only found out because she saved his life and he didn't know who she was. She was saving his life in the background and only realizes that his mother is there when he solves the puzzle. So all this time he's on his journey and his life is being saved mysteriously. It's because his mother is also there. She has higher knowledge and she's a parent. That automatically puts her in the stage of mentor. Interesting. A lot of parents, I mean, in our biology, that's what we assume their roles are is to teach their children, right? No, totally. I just I wouldn't expect that connection, I guess, in film. But that makes sense. Makes sense. And they do that in Aragon. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Aragon with the dragon. The dragon. No, never did. <laughs> they go a whole book with this mentor who's training him on how to be a dragon rider and fighter and use his magic. And only on his deathbed does he reveal that he's his biological father. Mm. So the whole time... He was guiding his son without telling him he was his son. Hmm. Interesting. I know. That's a weird trope that's appearing more and more is yeah. the parental hidden or the parental. Why? I think it's it's compelling. It's compelling oh. when that, that new knowledge is suddenly entering the story. It feels very soap opera-y. You know, oh, family I dynamics. I see. It becomes more compelling. Because I, I like the, the idea that you can have a parental figure that isn't your parent. I think that's more compelling. That's more common. The teacher, right? I the mean, coach. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. I can't speak to its commonness, but I, I feel like it's more dynamic because you expect that from the blood relative. Right. So it doesn't feel like a twist to me. It's like, oh, actually, it was your father the whole time. Right. like, okay, well, that's great. Right. <laughs> Thanks for being there when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, just, uh, I totally agree. Yeah. I I really like the, the non-parent as mentor, yeah. for sure. Especially broken ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, watch. I think that's coming. And then the next function, Vogler says, is to give gifts or to give aid to the hero. And gifts traditionally meant like magic or a weapon, a key, a clue. Mm. And it's usually given after the hero earns it in some way, learns something new. Therefore, you are bestowed with a gift. Here's your reward for okay. learning something new. So, I mean, if it's a sports movie, for example, mm -hmm. the coach pushes them hard until they, like, win that first fight. Uh, yeah. It's also midway in the story. So the hero yeah. still might be like, I don't know if I can win the championship. Right. In which case the coach is like, well, take this token or this medallion that I wore when I won my fight, mm. for example. Mm. Therefore, he feels trust in that medallion when he wears it for the final fight. And it might be the crucial thing he turns to in, in his deepest moment. Does it provide him with good luck? I mean, it could. So Metaphorically, that... symbolically. If it's fantasy, maybe it gives him <laughs> magic. Like he can always like make a basket. 
yeah. every time he plays basketball. Totally. And it could Great. be like the luck of the Irish around his <laughs> neck. That's a good, that's actually a good example. In luck of the Irish, his mom, his mom is a lot, uh, his mentor. She's yeah. teaching him the Irish ways. Right. Right. She gives him the necklace and that's the luck. Maybe you guys aren't familiar with this classic film. <laughs> from the Disney Channel in the 90s, but it's called Luck of the Irish. Enjoy. It's on Disney+. Plus. Ah, it's great. Yeah. And, you know, it could also be as simple as, not simple, but it could be life-giving advice, too. Mm. For example, in Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange is an egomaniac to begin with, the most important words he hears from the Ancient One, who is his mentor, is that she said something like... Um, you fail to learn the most important lesson of all, which is it's not about you. Mm. He takes that in the wrong way first, right? Because he's still on the journey until he realizes that his life isn't about him. He's meant for something <laughs> higher. Mm -hmm. So he must now sacrifice everything he's thought he's loved in order to save the world. Right. And that comes at a crucial time right? where he has to recognize those words of wisdom. And that's even after the Ancient One has died. Like she's no longer with him and he realizes that greater knowledge to mm. transcend his ego, right? Yeah. So it could be as simple as a line from the mentor hmm. that changes the, the character for the better. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. The mentor provides motivation. Again, that's like a coach thing, right? That they keep them going. Um, if it's an unwilling hero, they keep pushing in a lot of ways, testing, giving them a moral code to mm -hmm. live by, especially for westerns usually the cowboys hear from their elderly what's important when things seem pretty terrible like there's always mm. a moral code like you don't kill too many unless you need to you know like something mm, weird like I that see. Or I see. you don't kill before breakfast you know, oh my god <laughs> it could be something really stupid never right? shoot a rifle when it's a full moon on a <laughs> october evening <laughs> i gotta know when to hold them but yeah, it could be even simple things like that, in which case the cowboy now has knowledge of a moral code right. that was passed along. Mm -hmm. um, so they always have a part of them with them. That's as opposed to the reluctant hero. Like I'm thinking of like Katniss, right? Like she's pretty reluctant. I mean, she's willing, but she's reluctant. Haymitch is the one that's more reluctant. Yeah. He's like the reluctant mentor, which I really love. And I think uh, same thing with like Frank. Frank? Is that his name? Or I can't remember his name. In uh, Hercules? The Disney version? Oh, yeah. Um, Phil. His name is Phil. Phil. Okay. Like, again, he was like had to be coaxed into being a mentor. So, I mean, does that – is there a subcategory for that? There is. Okay. I think a lot of the times they call them broken mentors. That's – okay. But – I agree. It's much more compelling mm -hmm. when the mentor is broken. They haven't finished their journey, but they're pushed to, to help somebody else. They're the unwilling. That's what they're called, the unwilling mentor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's just like the hero then. Yeah, exactly. There's subcategories of mentors just like there are for heroes. Right. But before we get to that, okay, let's talk about the psychological function of okay. the mentor. So the psychological function, they represent the higher self. Again, they're the God within us. Mm-hmm. They're connected with all things. They stand for higher aspirations. They're often former heroes who are passing along knowledge. I already said that. They can play the role of a parent when the hero is lacking in them. Right? right. They they grow to love them, right? Maybe they even sacrifice themselves for for the hero. Dumbledore? 
Yeah. And a lot of do. They they get so attached that they feel like their child, that that was why they were put on Earth, which is to help this hero. Right. And those are compelling, too. I, I mean, they get very, like, <laughs> <laughs> very sad about those ones. Dumbledore is a great example. Yeah. Yeah. He feels so responsible for Harry at the end. Yeah. And, yeah, ugh, I love him as a mentor character because he's he spends time pushing Harry away because he knows that it would destroy Harry if he continued to be close to him. I'm just like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, that is way more compelling than a blood relative just being like, well, I'm your dad, so. Yeah. So good. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I took a quote from a Hero with a Thousand Faces. Cool. Because Joseph Campbell has, again, it's like a, it's more a divine definition of mentor. Hmm. But I thought he said it really well. Protective and dangerous, motherly and fatherly at the same time. This supernatural principle of guardianship and direction unites in itself all the ambiguities of the unconscious, thus signifying the support of our conscious personality by that other, larger system. Mm. Basically, he's saying that in nature, just like heroes come up as imbalance comes up, Mm -hmm. nature corrects that by calling out figures and he's saying that mentors are called up too because there's a time for them to teach and there's a time for for them to guard and Mm. oversee again it it feels like a divine intervention because the hero always finds a mentor if you've ever noticed in some form there's somebody protecting guiding or teaching them along the way even if they're unwilling or the anti-hero even if it's for yourself i mean we all have that exactly even yeah even spread out among many Ah, which leads us to our categories. You're welcome. Of mentors. <laughs> I think he calls it multiple mentors. Oh, okay. So his example is James Bond. Mm. James <laughs> Bond has multiple mentors oh, for very yeah. specific things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I see it. The coach, the direction giver, right. the office clerk for different dramatic functions. Interesting. Cool. Nice. The next category, dark mentors. Uh-huh. These mislead the audience and lure the hero into danger. And you know, the best example is actually Denzel Washington in Training Day. The other movie that we talked about in Venom. The Venom Problem. Go listen to that episode. Interesting. (laughs) Right? Yeah, totally. He acts like he's he's a guide and he's training him for this new position. He like provides him with information, but he also like constantly keeps him on the edge of craziness <laughs> yeah and he deceit i mean his whole being is deceit yeah none of it is i mean it may be true for him but he's already dark he's already a shadow yeah and he's deep shadow yeah he's basically using the hero to get what he wants yeah so that's that's, that's an one. example of a dark mentor nice. he's playing the part but it's not for good reasons palpatine palpatine yeah that could be a good one is the only other like dark mentor i could think of at the moment but yeah i think but he chooses purposely the shadow doesn't he? right yeah he's the, not like yeah i mean meaning the yes. the hero who's already in shadow yes yes but doesn't mean that he tries especially in the new star wars films right he tries with his granddaughter as we found out yeah and she's the light hero she's the willing hero right but he tries to coax her into the dark side because he's her grandfather it's like the <laughs> stupidest thing i've ever heard but you're right. It makes him a type of mentor for her. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's in a really weird, dark way. Because he's played that role for other characters. Exactly. So many other characters. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. When mentors go wrong. 
Now we come to Hamish. This is the category Hamish in Hunger okay. Games would fit, which is the fallen mentor. Yeah. They were on the hero's journey, but they experienced a crisis of faith in their calling and they fall out of the cycle. Yeah. Right. And often in the hero's journey, they need their hero, their protégés to bring them out of the shadow. Right. Either because it's necessary for survival or because the hero works at it. Right. And you're right, that's much more compelling because the hero's working much harder. It's like where all the meat is. Yeah. You just want to go straight to the meat and that's where the meat is. Yeah. Again, not black and white, right? Yeah. It's too easy for the divine mentor to fall out and be like, this is what you need to know. Yeah. I just thought of another one, but it's kind of a ridiculous example. No, tell me. I um, want to know. Uh, the Jamaican bobsled movie, what's it called? <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> I just forgot the name um, of it. Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. Yeah. He's so great for that. This she's talking about a Disney film, I believe. I think it is John Candy. Yeah, the first bobsled team from Africa, and they need a coach. And this coach has been down and out for years, right? He again, he was charged with a scandal. Yeah, right. Yeah, which he admitted what he did. Right. Yeah, he totally was the fallen mentor. Yeah, fallen hero and fallen hero, fallen mentor. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the cycle. You're right. So he comes out of it because he's forced to because the dude, the main dude is like, we need a coach and we know you're the guy. And it takes a while. It takes a very long while. Uh-huh. But he eventually comes around. Absolutely. But uh, it's just such a payoff when like the hero is willing, not only willing, but like demanding a mentor. Really? I'm like, when? I love that. I want to do that. Okay, find me a mentor and I'm going to demand that they become my mentor. Exactly. And there's some give and take then at that point. It's, exactly. It's very jumbled as to who's the hero at what time and who switches the mask because it must be done in order to drive the plot forward. Exactly. Another good example is League of Their Own. Yeah. The coach, right? The unwilling coach. Yeah. And they already have a huge hurdle to jump. And of course, they're given this drunk coach that doesn't give a damn. (laughs) Yeah. Right? These movies, that's why these movies are are more popular because there's more flaw in that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this was an interesting, weird category of mentors that Vogler mentions, which is the comic mentors. Hmm. Most often in romantic comedies. Interesting. That makes sense. They're the best friend of the main character who gives them, quote unquote, advice about love. Right. That usually goes astray. Right. That, or that's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid advice, right? Because they yeah. just like to be in the action. Right. But usually that advice turns all right in the end. Okay. Their humor turns out to be helpful. Okay. In some ways. I think this can be any romantic comedy, right? The one I wrote down was Imagine Me and You. See, I was just thinking that, but I was like, which one is it? because i had multiple thoughts about that so i'd like to hear what you what it is yeah i i think all of the best friends are acting in oh, in this comic role as a mentor as a mentor interesting okay because um, and i'm not remembering the names of the main characters uh the florist loose loose mm-hmm. she has a best friend and her mother yes right yeah her and, mother yeah mm-hmm. you know, tell me tell me tell me please say well, I mean, I was just going to say, I think the mother fits. I was thinking the best friend, and but she feels more like an ally. Because I was thinking the same about the other girl's husband and his friend. Uh-huh. Like he, which I don't remember any of their names. I thought maybe he would be a mentor, but he's protective of his friend. But in the end, he's an ally. 
more than he is. I mean, he can wear the mask, but like he feels more like an ally. Whereas like uh, the, the mother. mother, because she is seasoned and has something to say on the subject of love, mm-hmm. makes her more the mentor. You're right than the friend than the friend does. Gotcha. So yeah, there has to be some sort of wisdom behind it in order for them to be called mentor versus just an ally. So the other one's father. Oh a yeah, mentor. I mean he's kind of like takes him a while, right, right. But he encourages her at the end to like follow her heart. That's right, and that could be called comic mentor because his advice is is very not only fleeting and sometimes contradictory, but it you know it surprises you. The final thing he says is like, "What you knew all along the right thing to say," and like yeah. And it's the perfect timing. She needed to hear it in order to be launched into the final act, right? Yeah. And he's in an, what appears to be an unhappy marriage. Right. So it's funny to like see somebody in an unhappy marriage <laughs> be so into love oh, and her following her heart. That's it's really great yeah. example. <laughs> perfect. Cool. Comic mentor. If you haven't seen Imagine Me and You or You and Me, <laughs> go see it. Ooh. Okay. Two more. These these ones are quick. Okay. Wearing the mask of the mentor is considered a category because he mentions two figures that I I never knew were considered mentors because obviously they they play multiple roles and it's just a temporary role but the innocent child giving very wise advice mm. is one a great example of that is Charles Wallace in A Wrinkle in Time nice yeah he's the youngest brother everybody thinks he's sort of weird or right. dumb but the things he say are intuitive and wise and unexpected and and brilliant (laughs) and it comes at a time that's crucial for our main character to hear things like what he has to say very nice so a lot of movies will will use that child innocence for wisdom i mean this is really obscure but naomi wildman kind of does that from um star trek voyager yeah she's like the only kid for a long time and she's like constantly giving like really adult advice to people (laughs) she's she's one who's absorbing all the time right she she's just a sponge of knowledge and she just goes to every crewman and asks questions (laughs) and and she inserts herself in things you notice yeah so she's the perfect candidate for an early mentor yeah that's a great example thank you yeah (laughs) Uh, the other figure is the mad character and the best example is the Mad Hatter in mm. Alice in Wonderland. Not the old Disney version. Okay. But the newer Disney version of mm. Alice in Wonderland played by Johnny Depp. Okay. I only say that because Johnny Depp's character gives crucial advice. Interesting. In the, mo- the motion picture. Nice. He has like an inner wisdom that he keeps masked by comedy, right? Because the things he says are zany. really, yeah, zany, mm-hmm. absurd, contradictory. Right. Feel like riddles sometimes. But in those riddles lies wisdom. Right. Lies the truth. Yeah. And sometimes the hero must decrypt those in order to understand that they're actually telling them crucial advice. I think the the scene in Alice in Wonderland, which is when she's battling the Jabberwocky. Hmm. And it's that famous line of, you know, I sometimes think of six impossible things before breakfast. And he's like, that's a wonderful practice. But just at the moment, you must focus on the Jabberwocky, <laughs> right? Suddenly he's giving logic advice where he never did. Interesting. And the last one, I guess it's worth saying. He calls, Vogler calls the last category the inner mentor. Yeah. When there's no physical representation of a coach or teacher. Totally. But the hero has inner knowledge or inner wisdom that they've gathered 
and the audience hasn't seen, but we realize it's there because they have a moral code already. Mm. So it's already endowed in them. Nice. Would that count as projection? I mean, could they project it onto an outside source? Absolutely. And that's still considered inner mentor? Right, because we, we know the source is from within. Nice. See, I like that too. Yeah. That feels very spiritual-esque, yeah. you know? You're consulting with something that isn't maybe there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that you believe. Yeah. Yeah. And often, again, there's the outlaw cowboy who mm. who won't kill unless necessary, right? But right. we never saw why where he got that code, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, that's like a yeah, blazing saddles, right? Yes. Like he doesn't ever want to shoot anymore because the last guy that asked him to draw was a kid. Right. And um, he's like doesn't want to touch a gun since then. Yeah. So we know it's already in him. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. A lot of random references that we're making, but I like it. Oh, yeah. It helps us, like, expand so that if somebody doesn't know one, they might know another. Exactly. Yeah. And to prove that they exist in multiple places, multiple roles, temporarily, not at all. Yeah. yeah. There's all these options. Yeah. The example of mentors in Wonder Woman are Hippolyta, Diana's mother, and Antiope, Diana's aunt. Hippolyta is queen of the Amazons. Antiope is the general of the Amazons. Both have already coaching roles. One one of them has to teach Diana their ways, their heritage, where they came from, how they were birthed, the war that got them to the island. Mm-hmm. So all of that background myth of Diana's role is told by the mother, right? right. She's the bedtime storyteller. Mm-hmm. And that's critical for when Diana has to go to battle. Yeah. And then, of course, the coach of the warrior. Yeah. Right? She's so cool. And Teope works as her trainer. Right. To become the muscle that she must be. And not just physically, but mentally. Yeah. Like, she's doing a lot of things that, like, mess with her while practicing in the field so that she knows what it's like to think that way. Absolutely. You're right. It's both inner and outer warrior. Right. Oh, that's great. Both of them give her enough knowledge that she can leave them Mm -hmm. and do her own thing, but keep them close inside of her. Right. So they're not mentors who go with her in the journey, but they give her everything she needs to know before she goes. Yeah. It's awesome. Including gift giving, right? That's one of the functions. The mother, she doesn't necessarily give her (laughs) the sword. The god killer. The god killer sword. But she's the one who shows her the gifts. Right. She's like, this is the sword that'll kill Ares. Don't steal it. Don't steal that. Right, right. She actually tells her that, doesn't she? Don't "Don't touch any of that. (laughs) Yeah. But she also doesn't stop her from leaving the island with those gifts. It's hard. But she does do it. Right. Because she knows they were meant for her. Right. So I guess that's a reluctant sort of act there. But Yeah. And then in the contemporary version, Field of Dreams, the mentors I wrote down were Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yeah, he was a good one. And we find out that he is the voice in the field. Right. And that voice, again, is the herald. But it's coming from a God-influenced level. Mm. The voice in the fields is very God-inspired already. Because mm. they imply that Shoeless Joe Jackson is coming from the place that we call heaven. So he's already living within the divine. Right. But when he comes out into the field, he turns into hero, but still has that knowledge somewhere behind him of being the God speaker. Right. So he can tell Kinsella 
if you build it, he will come, ease his pain. What's the last one? Go the distance. Go the distance. Each one of those voices are acting as the mentor. Terrence Mann, of course, as, especially by the end, becomes very wise and gives the greatest advice. Right. And then Moonlight Graham, who is the third hero. <laughs> yeah. Again, he's already very wise. Yeah. And he's gone through his journey, so he has a lot to say to Kinsella that eases Kinsella. He's happy about learning the life that this man lived. Yeah. So those are the contemporary examples. Number four is the Threshold Guardian. You must complete three tasks before the moon is full. That's from the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, shoot. (laughs) (sighs) I love him. He's terrifying, but I love him. And he's based on a Greek myth, right? Totally. Yeah. Pan or fawn or wasn't there another name for him? I just confused myself like severely. Anyway. Do you want me to Google it? No, it's okay. (laughs) The Threshold Guardian, in terms of the psychological aspect, it tends to represent obstacles we face in the world. Those can be physical and external or internal. It can be anything from like weather to bad luck to as big as like oppression and sexism and racism and all those like huge ones. And then in the inner, it's like neuroses, emotional emotional scars, addictions, dependencies. I mean, all the things that really mess you up on the inside. Self-limitations. Basically, anything that you'd want to like do in cognitive behavioral therapy. Wow. Is like what is the inner threshold guardians. And those, you know, they have levels. Sometimes they're really, really strong and sometimes they're they're more manageable. Um smoking quitting smoking cigarettes for me was kind of like on the higher side but it's not by far the hardest obstacle i've had to cross you know absolutely what's your hardest obstacle let's psychoanalyze you uh i I know i kind of sprung that on you no no that's a great question because actually now that we're kind of in quarantine i'm constantly coming up against my battles of self-discipline i know i'm very self-disciplined but I very easily can drop into the rabbit hole mm. and, and just be comfortable. So my brain is constantly battling the, no, this is better for you. And you know that because once you start it, you'll feel better. Mm. So it's it's like an inner voice. My guardian is an inner voice, as most of ours are. But right now, it's the self-discipline voice. I don't know. Rabbit holes are pretty like cool and kind of dank and dark sounds like a lovely place to like take a nap below is wonderland yeah with a mad hatter <laughs> great i don't know about all that i mean that's kind of like crazy you oh, know that's true. that's true i don't want to get that crazy that's true anyway i'm sorry but thank you for asking <laughs> you're welcome uh the job of the threshold guardian in specific uh is to make sure that the hero is worthy of whatever that threshold is to cross over into they are tend to be the source of the test that the hero slash protagonist faces throughout the journey so you can have multiple threshold guardians as well as maybe one that recurs there tends to be more than one because they can take so many different forms so there are three types of threshold guardians that i thought were worth mentioning the ones that are like henchmen or on the side of the antagonist who are usually neutral, like they don't really have a stake in things in the way that the antagonist or the villain does, which is, 
Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you're right. They're usually like the, those lackeys or those yeah. punchmen who, who just execute because they're mindless or... I mean, they have enough mind to protect a threshold, but they're not quite on the same level as the antagonist or the hero. They're not usually very clever. Right. Yeah. They're just sort of cardboard cutout thresholds, you know, threshold guardians. I wrote down one that's called the secret helper. And it's basically those that are there to guide the hero if they can pass the test or show their worthiness. Ah. I don't know where I got that from, but that's what I wrote down. I feel like Vogler mentions those because they turn to allies as soon as the, the gotcha. threshold is passed. That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> and usually the hero convinces them to be the ally once they've passed that threat where they're they've proven themselves worthy to pass the threshold. They recognize the benefits of having someone like that guardian on their side as opposed to slaying them like a knight in shining armor who's just like, get out of my way. They they are clever enough to see that they can benefit them in their journey. So they right. absorb them. Right. And they be and they go with them on their way. Nice. Maybe that's what I remember reading that, but I don't know if that's what he meant. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And then the third thank you. And then the third one is the usually the most difficult ones. They're the embodiment of the hero's own fears, obsessions, and hatred. Ooh. So they're the the really they're the ones that require you to the hero to be both clever and strong whether that's physically or if it's to yourself then to yourself you know <sighs> battling the self to continue yeah yeah not only the self but you're like the the part of the self that you hate the most about oh, yourself God. <laughs> or the yeah is that what inner shadow is right yeah oh, sorry yeah inner basically <laughs> Sometimes the guardian's challenge is an illusion that must be penetrated. That's kind of a weird way of putting that. <laughs> that must be breached. Eh, um, <laughs> when it's not, is that sometimes the guardian's challenge isn't really what it appears to be, of course, because duh. And then if it's not, it's usually the guardian challenging. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, but it, it isn't usually about physical force. It's about being clever. There's both, but I think the more challenging the threshold guardian is, the more it requires you to be clever, as well as using the strengths that you've learned so far from your mentor and your allies and all those other things, the gifts that you were given, those yeah. things. That That's the threshold guardian being probably the riddle maker as well. Yeah. That's why the, the, the traditional, well, one of the traditional guardians was the sphinx the, yeah the one who gave the riddle to be broken and the original riddle was the you know what what starts off on four legs uh goes to two and ends up with three mm -hmm. right it's the it's man because they're the baby the man and then <laughs> yeah. the elderly right that's why you see that sort of riddle doer across bridges like you can't cross this bridge until you answer this riddle that tends to be the most classic of the threshold guardians right totally that's a very obvious one because it's so like ginormous absolutely one of the most important parts for the hero when he come he or she excuse me <laughs> comes up against the threshold guardian is if they can pass and seeing them not pass sends them back to where they were before they showed up because they're not ready Right. Which is like so psychologically true. 
I mean, you know what I mean? You yeah. just that's what you do, psychologically. Whether it's cognitive or not, that's what happens. Sometimes you're just not ready for that challenge and you have to go back and recollect yourself and rally your allies sometimes so that you can come back when you are. Absolutely. And the the guardian is there basically testing courage, perseverance, willingness to listen to advice, courtesy. Like there's all these huge things that almost don't seem as important as the main goal of the hero, especially when a hero turns the threshold guardian into an ally. These are like the skills that the hero has to absorb, like you were saying, to become the all later. Because, you know, breaking in and shooting everybody that's a bad guy is not ultimately going to get you to your goal unless you're becoming the shadow or the villain or the antagonist or whatever. Absolutely. And there's like quite a few examples of this that I wrote down just because it's kind of a fun archetype for me. Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory was one that came up. Wonka exploding at Charlie and refusing to give him the prize. Yeah. Because that turns out being a test of Charlie's loyalty. Oh, shoot. Which is crazy. And that's coming at the end of the film. Right. Which people usually think of like, oh, well, the thresholds are at the beginning. No, they're throughout the story. Yeah. It's perfect. And like the crazy, the big, big one is at the end, which is not always what you think. And then, of course, uh, Red Skull, which is the one we talked about as soon as we started talking about the Threshold Guardian is from Avengers Infinity War. Ooh. He's the one that protects the Soul Stone. And we get to see him twice, which is kind of cool because we see the process. It's when Thanos goes to him and he has to make the exchange. And then we see it again with Hawkeye and Black Widow. What you seek lies in front of you, as does that which you fear. For one of you, for the other, in order to take the stone, you must lose that which you love. So it's like a very high price to pass this threshold to gain what you're looking for, which is passage to get the item so that you can take it back. And we see how each character is tested. Uh, We see the reactions and the actions of each character based on what archetype they're playing. Because Thanos, as the shadow, he forces his daughter off the cliff. And it is difficult for him, but not difficult enough to not do it. He's not totally one-sided. There is some like true emotion there, but he's still shadow. And he's forcing an unwilling totally soul no, yeah. to die. Totally. The daughter makes the point because she at first is like, great, if that's the price, you can't pay that because you love no one. Right. And then we see that he actually, in fact, does love her. Right. It's right. Really twisted love, but it's, it's messed up, but it's more accurate. Yes. You know, it's not simple. And then, of course, yeah, with Hawkeye and Black black widow which is kind of a cool scene because they're fighting to die even like jumping off and catching and then jumping off and then catching i'm like oh my god guys that (laughs) scene is just it was so well written the things they say to each other yeah if nobody else cares about superhero movies or any of that just know that they have moments of great psychology in there yeah that seems stupid but when you watch it and experience it it's really not yeah it's really everything that you would say if you were them yeah i just oh it was a great scene Still mad that they got rid of her, though. Oh, well, for sure. There's a lot of uh, tension still. Always the sexist choice that they go with. Let the white man be alive. He will solve everything. Whatever. Anyway, sorry. That's my personal feelings. (laughs) I personally feel the same way. For sure. She should not have died. Yeah. 
And then you mentioned the Sphinx in Greek mythology, definitely. And then the other example I had was the Fawn, again, in Pan's Labyrinth. He is the one that shows like all of the qualities of the archetypal threshold guardian. He tests Ophelia's merits and strengths by giving her the three tasks, which she has to complete in order to gain entry into this magical kingdom and take her rightful place. The challenges all task her morals, her determination, her tenacity. And there's a lot of times where you're not sure if the fawn is good or evil. Like he's very much playing that trickster as well, but he's like, he ha- he's playing so many roles that it's so like effective because this is like a little girl I know. that like is trying to survive in this insane world. Kind of, I mean, traditionally cultures depict the devil with those horns of a fawn anyways. So yeah. the creators of the film meant to emote some of that devilish tricksterness anyway. Yeah. But you're right. The way he acts makes him multiple archetypes. Right. Interesting. And especially, I mean, I think to your point, I think especially at the end, the last task that she has to complete under pressure, of course, is whether or not to spill the blood of an innocent. Oh. And it's her newborn baby brother on top of it. And that's the only way that she can gain entry um, into the the gate, into the kingdom. Right. It's like, what other kind of threshold do you want? (laughs) And what kind of guardian? Because it's like messed up. (sighs) Such a good movie. I can, yeah, I can never watch it again, but I remember it. Totally, totally. It's one of those, like, once every five years. (laughs) So let's talk Wonder Woman. Yeah. In terms of Threshold Guardian, uh, we definitely have the mother. She is one of the most prominent people to try to block Diana from leaving the island and going towards fate to some degree because it's like foretold in this world yeah that she has to fight diana doesn't know it but she is the god killer and there's nothing the mother can do to stop that and her sister is one of the people that really forces her to accept that i don't blame the mother for acting motherly absolutely because the way i see it she has two roles here her being the queen of the amazons knowing what diana must do And her thinking of her as just an innocent child who doesn't deserve to go through that journey. She's trying to protect her. It's one of my favorite, like, dynamics. Yeah. It's not fun. It's really good to see a female character doing, making those choices. Right. Because I I do find when it does come to the male versions of this, it seems like that decision is easier to make. And that's just what I've seen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's true. It's just what I've seen. And so it's nice to see somebody like this who is fighting herself so much without us really even needing to see a lot to know it. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes Diana's overcoming that threshold guardian more emotional and uh, memorable. Yeah. And- a lot of depth. Yes. Like yes. A lot of depth there. There's an idea that she can't return. Right. At the end of her journey. And that's even more of a like threshold guard like oh my god giving an ultimatum by the one you love the most yeah and then another example that i found in that which i think is you can correct me if i'm if you think it's wrong the group diana and the chief and the singer and the actor and steve obviously don't remember all their names (laughs) they need to break into the general's party and the only way to sort of cleverly maneuver is to be able to dress up like they're 
attendees. They all have their role, like the chief goes and gets a car, Diana goes and gets a dress. So everybody's kind of like working together to sneak in and pass the threshold, which are Nazis, by the way, which is insane, to be able to to get in there and do what they need to do. They're shape-shifting for a moment to drive the plot further on. Totally. And then Field of Dreams, of course. His wife, actually, who's, I love her, absolutely, her name's Annie, Ray's wife. She, pretty much from the beginning, is for it. Like, she's very supportive and a good ally. What I liked about her, just as a sidebar, is that she's not a complacent housewife. She's like a little spitfire. Yeah. But she believes him, and she believes in him, and she's like, I'll make it work. She goes with the flow. She's a child of the 60s, damn it. Really? I mean, she's just so refreshing in the movie. Like, every time we see her, I'm just like, yes, thank you. Like, we needed some, like, earthly, strong, I love it. So she, at one point, does become a very temporary slash brief threshold guardian to Ray, which is a fun scene because it lasts for, like, five seconds. (laughs) And he reveals that he's been having this dream And she's like, does it have to do with this and this and that? And he's like, yeah. And so they realize that they've been having the same exact dream. (laughs) And at which point she's like, I'll help you pack. Like, you got to go. Yeah. Almost instant. And I love that because he's proved it, that he's not just crazy, but he also doesn't truly need to. And I love that that's what makes her an ally and a threshold guardian to some degree. And I, I also think that the voice is a threshold guardian. There's a lot of things that the voice is asking Ray to do. And the only way that he can continue on his journey is by completing that task. Ah. You know, you have to believe to see it. You must pass these tests to be able to go on to the next part. I didn't even think about it like that. But it's absolutely true because he couldn't complete his journey without solving the puzzle of each section voices goal yeah yeah. Right. yeah it's literally broken up into three right and each each one is calling for him to pull in another hero right wow that makes an interesting threshold guardian especially one that you can't see you can't see you can't <laughs> predict yeah you can't do anything about it you can't just... ask questions i mean yeah. like he could at least be like who do you mean right do you mean i should go get terrence man <laughs> who's been like loitering in his apartment yeah yeah it's that's the only that's the only clue the voice gives right each time and and the threshold is pretty much invisible too he doesn't really know what not only doesn't know what he's looking for, but he doesn't really know what it means. He doesn't know if he's passed. He doesn't know anything until the next instruction comes along. Absolutely. What about you? Did you find any other threshold guardians that stuck out? Not not a guardian. And maybe this isn't even worth mentioning then because it's just a divine threshold of sorts. I love it though. I love it. Do uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah it's the actual <laughs> crossing between the field and the real world it's like the gravel section yeah yeah they literally like push the camera pushes in on the threshold between the dream state and the actual state which to those who are worthy they see everything in the dream state kinsella and his family they can see the baseball players right away because they're they believers mm-hmm. and they can interact with them so it's it becomes a threshold for everyone yeah when they do believe and they start to see it yeah we know that because annie's brother yeah the idiot yeah (laughs) we will talk about because he's the shadow good but 
he's he can't see any of it because he's not a believer. He's not worthy to cross the threshold and see what's happening. So I think that makes for an interesting tool in the story. Yeah. Especially when Moonlight Graham, when he crosses yeah. it the last time, it's because his dream has been fulfilled. Right. And now he's worthy to return to what he was, which is a, yeah. a final hero who's lived his life, ready to return to heaven. It was very interesting because, yeah, like on the, I'm going to say the reality side, you can pass it back and forth. It's actually not a physical barrier. It's just the place where the spirits are beyond, right? But yeah. if you're on the spirit side, it's a literal boundary. And the other players that see him step up to the gravel seem to know that like once he passes over, that's that's it. Right. You know, he's going to be Doc again, not Moonlight. Right, right. Uh, it's just, it's. I, I mean, I don't know either if that's considered a threshold guardian specifically but it isn't a really compelling threshold i mean if we do think of a guardian being there for those thresholds for yeah. like between heaven and iowa yeah and the baseball field that's again the divine totally. that's where shoeless joe jackson's external voice is coming from that's the same type of god speaking guardian yeah so maybe that's who the guardian would be for the actual threshold maybe. yeah we're gonna pause there because we do have more archetypes we will pick up next time. If you'd like to review us, we're on iTunes, bitethepen.com also to listen. Uh, we're on most apps, I believe. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter. If you feel like donating, you can check us out on patreon.com. We'd like to give a big thank you to our donor, Jesse Martinez. Thank you for supporting us and for listening. We hope to have you all back here for our final episode of Archetypes. That'll be the trickster and the shadow. Thank you so much.